Peter, Amber appalled her friend Rachel by skipping the middles of books. Amber read for the gist of things. Her brother, Patrick, who was three, sat in the opposite corner studying himself in a hand mirror. He had just discovered eyebrows. He raised and lowered them, squeezed them together, and patted them with small fingers. Now and then he broke off his investigation to whisper to a five-foot stuffed alligator. Its long tail curled on the floorboard, its plaid body draped across his knees. At the Montrose exit, clay cut from the outside lane across the paths of an old Finney Chevrolet and a new Dodge Dart station wagon, provoking angry honks. Hope frowned. The Cadillac had infected Clay with hubris, in her opinion. Yet she admired the way he negotiated the traffic circle of Meekum Fountain. Here the old diagonal main street, built by Houston's founders, met the strictly right-angled Montrose Boulevard laid out by the city's 19th-century expansionists. This disorderly arrangement had cars entering the traffic circle from unexpected directions, darting from lane to lane, honking deliriously. Typical Houston, Hope liked to say, going on with no encouragement whatsoever, to propose the Meekum Fountain as Houston's spiritual center, a stance that invariably inspired Clay to point out that, in reality, it was the cooling system for the Warwick Hotel. Sally Kellerman bathed nude in this fountain yesterday, said Hope. Who's Sally Kellerman? The star of that movie Calhoun's an extra in. As we could have been, had you been a little more adventurous. Calhoun had tried to talk Hope and Clay into joining him as extras. You'd make a great policeman, he told Clay. The script calls for lots of policemen. It wasn't a question of adventurousness, said Clay. I just wasn't interested in spending my day off with a bunch of weirdos. Amber set her book aside and edged forward to better hear what her parents were saying, slinging her arms with boneless abandon over the front seat. Spaghetti string arms, according to her nastier classmates. Amber worried about her skinniness, and today wore two T-shirts and flaring bell-bottoms to give herself heft, a strategy that would later have her sweating and flushed as the July day gained heat. "'Was Calhoun a carrot?' she asked. For his wedding last year, Calhoun had dressed as a carrot, a fact recorded in home movies he'd shown them. Clay wasn't in sympathy with this gesture." It was Clay's opinion that to wear a carrot costume to one's wedding was not only ludicrous, but ominous. And since the marriage had failed after only six months, he felt his view validated. No, Calhoun was just a man in a crowd, honey. That's mostly what extras are, Hope explained. Which is why your father declined the opportunity, added Clay. He punched the cigarette lighter and reached for the package of cools on the dashboard. He shook them out of the package, one by one. All had been broken in half. He glanced in the rear-view mirror, but Amber's head was bent low over her book. Her campaign to persuade him to stop smoking had entered a guerrilla phase.
Clay frowned and turned on the radio. When they reached the church, he backed into a tight parking space, tight for a Cadillac, with just two fingers on the wheel. Hope never looked so at ease as this. She tended to forget where the various buttons were, for the windows, the air conditioner, and was always groping for something when she drove. The Unitarian Church Hope and Clay belonged to wasn't the long-established first church on Fannin, but a new congregation in the Montrose. It had been a small fellowship until last year, when a majority of the members decided to hire its first minister, Alex Sanford. Where else? Clay had remarked, when Hope first told him that the church she was thinking of joining, and which was fast gaining a reputation for unorthodoxy, was located in the Montrose. He may have been simply...